Hi, welcome to the Crypto Ramble. I'm Desiree. I'm speaking today with Tone Bays. I'm sure that you've heard of him. He describes himself as a content creator, derivatives trader, and consultant. And he has a lot of interesting opinions on Bitcoin and the many other alternative currencies that are out there. Uh, I'd like Tone to introduce himself to you just in case you don't know who he is. Thanks, Desiree. Awesome to be on the show. Uh, yes, I am now a content creator. I have a pretty popular YouTube channel uh, where we talk about all things uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as well. Um, I have uh, different shows. I have shows that are more geared towards traders. I have a law show, which used to be every week, now more like every month. Uh, I might be doing one of those soon again. Uh, I have uh, all these different shows on the YouTube channel. I travel the world, speak at conferences about Bitcoin mostly, and um, that's pretty much been it. Prior to doing all of this, I was working on Wall Street. I was uh, helping to build risk models, and I have lots of experience as a trader. So I monetize everything I do by edu educating traders on uh, you know, doing their job of trading better. Uh, that's what I focus on. I try to just teach technical analysis and trading techniques. That's pretty much me. Okay. I'm curious about how you first learned about Bitcoin and what uh, drew you to it. So I heard about Bitcoin in late 2010, early 2011. Uh, that's when it got on my radar with what happened with WikiLeaks. Uh, if you remember, uh, it was a while ago, but uh, WikiLeaks uh, almost lost all of its money and they almost had to shut down uh, because Visa, MasterCard and PayPal cut them off from donations. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with WikiLeaks, they were releasing a lot of documents that governments didn't like about war atrocities in Iraq and uh, lots of other things. And uh, that's when I heard about it. I thought it was interesting that they were able to use Bitcoin to get around these money laundering laws and these uh, money controls by governments and corporate entities. Now, it really hit home for me in 2013. Uh, that's when I actually took Bitcoin seriously when I saw what happened in Cyprus and uh, the European government and the Cyprus government just confiscated people's money out of their bank accounts. Uh, that took place in March and April. Uh, well, all the hype started in March. I think they finally confiscated the money in early April uh, of 2013. And that's when I realized that Bitcoin is the only asset that is unconfiscatable by those with a bigger gun. And that property really hit home because at the time I was working, I had a really high paying job. I was reading way too many gloom and doom bloggers they kept saying how the government is gonna come for your 401k and they're gonna confiscate all your money and what are you gonna do? And then I'm watching this thing happen in Cyprus where they're actually confiscating people's money from their bank accounts. And the only path to get around this fear was Bitcoin. Now, I'm a little less fearful of this happening uh, in a country like the US like I was back then, but at the same time, I am not scared of it happening because I've discovered Bitcoin. Uh, so that's what happened in 2013. Uh, both of those properties really hit home in 2015 
when the Greek banking shutdown occurred and while people's money wasn't necessarily confiscated, they didn't have access to their money where the government just said you're only allowed to withdraw 60 euros per day from the ATM machines and the banks are closed. Uh, so once again, the properties of uh, being censorship resistant and unconfiscatable. I always thought that the monetary property of Bitcoin having a finite supply and having these gold-like properties not as critical, but then after reading Saifedean's awesome book, The Bitcoin Standard, I have uh, way more respect for uh, these gold-like hard money properties of Bitcoin. And that's that also helped me understand why altcoins uh, can't really compete with Bitcoin, just like silver can no longer compete with gold, because in the 20th century, technology allowed gold to scale. Uh, once gold was able to be the backing of a fiat currency, you can now uh, spend, bit, uh, spend gold at any kind of denomination. You can have a micropayment in gold by using technology and creating uh, paper money backed by gold. Now, governments didn't, this didn't last very long. Uh, governments uh, took that apart, but that doesn't mean that technology can't create micropayments for gold. And that's when I really realized that something like Litecoin can never compete with Bitcoin if Bitcoin can scale with the Lightning Network. Uh, so these are the three core properties of Bitcoin. Uh, the fact that it's hard money, the fact that it's censorship resistant, and more importantly, the fact that it's unconfiscatable. Okay, so unconfiscatable, censorship resistant, and has gold-like properties. And right. you don't think that altcoins can compete because they can't scale as well as Bitcoin? Is, is that correct? Well, altcoins also can't scale as well as Bitcoin uh, for no other reason than the smartest computer scientists are all working on Bitcoin in order to scale it. So altcoins lack a lot in, you know, brain power to actually make them work. I mean, sure, we have all of these exceptions throughout history. It's always like the high school or the college dropout that happens to build, you know, an amazing company uh, like, well, Facebook part is debatable, but uh, Microsoft and Apple and many others, right? It was always like Einstein was always seen as like the, uh, the kid in class that's probably going to fail and turned out to be Einstein, right? So there are these notable exceptions throughout history, but these exceptions don't work in reverse, right? Uh, yes, the guy that dropped out of college or dropped out of high school was probably too smart to be there. That's why he dropped out and that's why he built this amazing company. It doesn't work in reverse. You know, just because you dropped out of high school or college, very often it's not because you were too smart for it, it was because you couldn't handle it. So you're not going to build this amazing company. And uh, people seem to people seem to think that just because you dropped out of high school or college, it means you're going to build something great. That's not how it works in the real world. Uh, in the real world, uh, people uh, drop out of those things because they're too smart for it, not because they flunked out of these things. And uh, you have to question a lot of these people that want to just start their own money. 
Uh, it's very, very dangerous. It's dangerous for them. It's dangerous to the people that buy into that money uh, because they're not anonymous. They're not decentralized. They're, no altcoin can ever achieve what Bitcoin did in its first two years. The organic growth in Bitcoin when no one cared about it and no one was buying into Bitcoin to make money when in, the, in 2009, Bitcoin had no value. So the only reason to actually be involved in Bitcoin in 2009 was for the science experiment. And that allowed Bitcoin to spread around the world in a way that wasn't speculative, money-hungry nature. And no altcoin can ever replicate that. It's just not possible. And that is why they will always be at a disadvantage. They will, always, they will never reach the kind of decentralization that Bitcoin has from a technological perspective or economic one. Uh, I was kind of with you, but then you started saying, you know, like always and never. Uh, and it sounds like the basis for your very strong faith in Bitcoin is the social aspect of it, that it has a sort of first mover advantage and that it, it has a, a network behind it. And that because I guess you would consider that there's already some sort of market saturation with Bitcoin that other altcoins couldn't really compete with it. And I don't know if I completely agree with that. I do think that, yes, Bitcoin might be unique in that it was a first and that it has uh, a lot of very smart people working on it to make it uh, evolve into something that can scale. Because you also mentioned that if it scales, then it will be, it's, it's not a given that it's going to scale. You use the word if. And so wouldn't you say that it's possible for other people who are also smart to maybe look at Bitcoin and then say it's not, it could be better. And uh, because the direction that I guess the developers are going in with Bitcoin, they don't agree with. And then maybe they can come up with something. And yes, there's a there's a need for marketing. So it's not necessarily a given that just because someone builds a good or even possibly better technology than Bitcoin, that the rest of the world will find out about it. But I do think that it's still, the, the industry is still very explorative and there's room for people to find something new, to discover it and then to build it up. But you're saying no, because Bitcoin was there Bitcoin first. Bitcoin doesn't need better technology. Bitcoin needs stability. Uh, we have this thing where because Bitcoin was able to create this digital money in a decentralized way, um, all of these altcoins are coming out, especially the privacy focused ones. You know, we're talking the Monero, the Mimblewimble coins, you know, all of these coins Particle. that pride on their uh, particle that want to pride on their latest privacy technology. All that is, is trying to convert a line of code into money. But money isn't a line of code. Money is confidence. And Bitcoin has that confidence, not because it was first, but because it is the only one that's sufficient, that's most decentralized and most secure. And uh, uh, people have been, uh, because Bitcoin paved the way to create this money, um, a lot of the uh, people like, hey, uh, ZK Snarks, an interesting, it's a very interesting piece of encryption. 
I know how, uh, and it would be just an interesting piece of encryption uh, protecting your data in many, many projects until someone decides to turn that line of code into money. But that's not what money is. Uh, money is confidence that it's going to last. Money is confidence that it's secure. Money is confidence that everyone else is going to accept it. And no matter how much advertising you do, you're not going to be able to get everyone to accept that as money. Uh, Mimbo Wimble is doing the same thing. Monero is doing the same thing. Now, Monero has a little bit of a first mover advantage, but that's what it really has going for it. Monero has a first mover advantage. You can easily create better privacy tech than Monero and Monero people will switch because they're only there for the privacy. But people that are using Bitcoin, they aren't there necessarily for the privacy. Bitcoin's privacy is going to be good enough uh, because the smartest people are trying to solve that problem. Uh, Bitcoin's value comes from the confidence that someone else is going to accept your Bitcoin and the confidence that someone else is holding that Bitcoin uh, you know, for the long term, uh, protecting their value. Uh, that's all that money is. Uh, or, whether it's the US dollar or the Russian ruble, it was funny, just yesterday with my friends, we were having this discussion where people are saying, uh, Tone, how come you're not like hype all over the Russian ruble? Russia is supposedly has one of the biggest gold reserves. Uh, they have very little debt. They, have, they don't really borrow money. They have a lot of natural resources. They have a lot of gold. Uh, so why is the ruble uh, why did it devalue over 100% in the last couple of years, right? Why is it uh, dropping, devalued over 50%, sorry. Uh, why don't the world believe in the ruble? Well, very, very simple. Uh, because people around the world don't have confidence that the ruble is going to be a world reserve currency. And, and it, it is that simple. I mean, your currency and your value is only as good as what someone else is willing to pay for it. And that's and this is why all of these altcoins are competing with each other, whether they're competing on uh, speed or costs or privacy, uh, they're competing with each other. Bitcoin is at a different level. And I think all of them are just going to slowly depreciate versus Bitcoin. Yeah, I listened to a, a couple of your other interviews and I, I got the this sense that it still sounds like it's a social thing for you. It's not the actual tech itself. You said that. Bitcoin doesn't need um, better tech, but it being able to scale, is it having better tech? And you mentioned if it scales within Lightning Network, that would be a good thing. So that sounds like a contradiction to me. Like it does need better tech in order to be able to become, I guess, the best version of it for other people. And um, I didn't understand what you meant by um, turning a line of code into money. I, I don't, I think that Bitcoin itself is lines of code being turned into money, but you're saying that it has also the confidence of people behind it. But it's also code that's being, you know, information that you can that can be used as money because of what it tracks. What um, so Satoshi uh, cre gave created the idea of proof of work mining. That was his innovation to the world. Uh, Satoshi solved the double spending problem by creating proof of work. That was his real innovation, uh, creating the mining structure. And he used what he felt was the best tech at the time uh, to make Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin, right? He used uh, 
the latest, uh, or he used, uh, there's obviously some encryption in Bitcoin. He didn't necessarily make these transactions private at the protocol level. Uh, he could have put some more privacy into it, but then he had he would have had to infringe on some copyrights on other code. So uh, there, there were reasons he did what he did. Could he have put more privacy in the underlying layer of Bitcoin? Yeah, he probably could have, but at the same time, um, it would have been hard, potentially harder to find something called inflation bugs. So one of the problems that a lot of these um, anonymous currencies have is because they're so anonymous, it's very hard to tell if there's hidden inf uh, inflation of those currencies going on in the, under the hood and no one really knows, right? Like we know that there are 18 and a half million Bitcoin that has ever been created. Well, it, it depends on the, the privacy coins. Like that, that's whether or not the, um, the network is auditable, but I think it's not for every privacy coin out there. So it depends. Right, but the other thing is it's hard to know. Like you can't know for sure. Like in Bitcoin, you know for sure there are only uh, 18 and a half million Bitcoin or whatever we have out there now. You know with 100% certainty exactly how many Bitcoins have been created. And you can't know with 100% certainty in many of these privacy coins. I don't know. And uh, again, I don't know the details of all of them. It's impossible to do research on every single new altcoin that comes out because one comes out every single day. Uh, that, that's true, but I do think that I can't remember exactly which one right now, but I do think um, it's possible to audit the supply. I can't remember if it's Zcash or, or Zcoin, but there are privacy coins that have auditable supplies. Right. And uh, th that is probably something they didn't want to take a chance on or them or him. Um, mm. But but again, like at the end of the day, uh, Satoshi's invention was proof of work. And what Bitcoin did in its first couple of years, you just can't replicate that. Like if you're going to build an altcoin, it's not going to like grow organically with an anonymous person. Like the only reason why that coin ever gets off the ground is because someone is speculating on making money from that coin. That's not what happened in the early days of Bitcoin. Um, while a few people probably thought that, um, it was m like the majority didn't. Even the early people that got involved, uh, they saw it as interesting. You know, this is why uh, people today, you know, they are in therapy because of the tens of thousands of Bitcoins they basically threw away into the dumpster in their hard drives, right? Like you never hear of anyone, you know, throwing 10,000 Monero away, right? Or like uh, uh, 100,000 Litecoin away. Like nobody did that, right? Because when all of these old coins came out, you knew not to throw them away. So you can never reach the same organic growth and organic decentralization. I mean, maybe we will in like 40, 50 years when something completely new shows up. It's, uh, it, 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 it's just like it's going to spread in multiple directions. It's kind of like when Napster was out there and everyone was on Napster, uh, download, you know, like file sharing. And then Napster goes down and you're bombarded with, you know, 20 or 30 alternatives. Everything kind of spread out. 
it was all full of viruses until the BitTorrent system came out that once again had much better decentralized tools and uh, you could have different clients on BitTorrent, but they all uh, functioned the same way. Uh, so uh, it was a really interesting way and even that decentralized system is pretty much dying. It kind of died. Like so few people are using that system now because the traditional centralized entities, they have caught up. Faster, better quality, uh, you know, no viruses. Uh, they caught up, they, they made it more convenient. And, uh, you know, it's possible for the government to compete with Bitcoin. It's a lot easier for the government to compete with Bitcoin than an altcoin, but I don't think that they will. They would need to remove all money laundering laws. Instead, they're doubling down on money laundering laws and they would have to stop, you know, uh, fiat money inflation. And they look like they want to keep doing more fiat money inflation. Uh, that's what people really want. Uh, no one really wants to use like peer to peer stuff. Like nobody wants to use Bitcoin. They have to use Bitcoin uh, because governments aren't giving them the money that they want. And uh, I don't think people are going to want to use a dozen different currencies. Like I hate the fact that I have to constantly convert currency as I travel around the world. I would love to just use my US dollars everywhere. And thank God that US dollars are pretty much used everywhere, but I still have to convert them. It's not convenient. You know, walking into a store and it says we accept 28 different, you know, altcoins. It just makes no sense. And the person that does accept 28 different altcoins, do you really think they're storing all of them? Of course not. They're just converting them into a single one because no one wants to manage 28 different currencies in their home. Okay, okay, okay. You just said a lot. Um, yes. Just on this last bit, um, I was trying to set up accepting crypto payments uh, on my website for my book and uh, it was very annoying. It is very annoying uh, just trying to figure out how to meet every single person's need for like the, the specific coin that they might be a fan of. Um, but I want to go back to what you were saying earlier and uh, you made a concession that maybe in 40 or 50 years something might come along and I appreciate that you said that but it, you're like it's not likely. Um, but I do think that even though yes I agree that Bitcoin at its beginning didn't have the, the speculative um, greed behind it and that it was people actually using it for something that was meeting a need for them and so they weren't they weren't using it to make money but they were using it for currency and uh, I do think that you're right any new coins in this day and age that are coming out there's a lot of speculation behind it so there's a different motive however I still think that if these coins are able to some one coin or another is able to meet a specific use case then it's possible that it can attract maybe not as great of a network effect as bitcoin but something similar and i do think that privacy is something that is uh necessary and uh, you mentioned earlier i don't know if you just said this i and you weren't thinking about what you're saying but you said something about people not needing privacy um, I'm gonna like look over this interview and uh, we'll uh, see if you actually no, said that. No, I, I and it's like, said... that's totally not true. I think you said something I like that. I agree. People need <laughs> privacy. Most people don't care about privacy, or Facebook wouldn't be so popular, right? Right. Uh, 
mo most people don't care. That, that, that's, the, that, that's the reality of the situation. Uh, you want to give them this privacy and uh, Bitcoin will have privacy. It's just that it's going to have privacy as a second layer. It's not going to have privacy at the protocol level. And while the purists of privacy say that's not good enough, the economic reality will tell them that it's more than good enough because most people don't even care at all. So giving them privacy as a second layer uh, and the main reason to give people privacy as a second layer on Bitcoin is because you can't give privacy uh, as, a, as a underlying layer in Bitcoin because you can't hard fork. We've already learned this lesson with bigger blocks that if you're going to try to force everyone to upgrade the code, all you're going to do is create a split and an altcoin. So Bitcoin doesn't have the option to give people privacy at the protocol level. So all it has to do now, all it can do now is give people privacy as a second layer solution through wallets, through soft forks and other ways. Sure, it's not going to be as great as privacy at the protocol level, but it's going to be more than good enough because you can't give people privacy at the protocol level because again, you can't get everyone to upgrade and getting everyone to upgrade is even easier than getting everyone to switch. Uh, I mean, Facebook was able to get everyone switched from MySpace to Facebook, but that didn't require the potential, you know, total loss of their life savings to do so. And uh, and this is a problem. I, I don't believe it's going to happen. And, um, I, I, and I'm very, very confident in that not happening. And, uh, and even if it does happen, how the hell do I know which one people are going to switch to? And I'm not going to hold 3,000 altcoins, right? Like every week, someone else is talking about how this one is going to take over. Uh, we're still waiting for someone to take over Facebook. Go for it. Like if you think it's easy, uh, build a better social network and get everyone from Facebook to switch. And that's a hell of a lot easier to do than getting people to switch from Bitcoin. Yeah, that's a very good uh, analogy because I'm, I'm personally very fed up with a lot of the social networks, yet I still use them. And that's that's something um, that a lot of people are struggling with today. So there is some merit to that argument that you're making, uh, but I still want to point out that, okay, and I also agree with you that um, a lot of people don't care about privacy and if Bitcoin provides something that's good enough, then it will be okay. However, I think that if there are coins that are able to compete with Bitcoin, I specifically care about privacy, but it could be some other use case. And they can they could possibly carve out a niche for themselves and maybe they won't become as big as bitcoin but i also think that they could eventually just because bitcoin might fail people in some way if it's not able to adapt i can't foresee in what way you know you're saying most people don't care about privacy but there could be something that comes up um like some huge world or a few of them all uh, uh, over time where someone was compromised because say they didn't have privacy with Bitcoin and then lot of people are like, you know what, this is way more important than we thought it was. Now I'm scared for whatever. Um, and I'm going to maybe look at some other coins. So yes, Bitcoin has a, has more people and it's very hard to get people to switch over once the majority of people are using it even when people are discontent so if they do like a mediocre solution that might be enough in terms of privacy which is what i would call the second layer privacy 
um, that that's mediocre, but maybe that will be fine. But at the same time, I do think that other coins might be able to carve out a niche for themselves based on meeting some need for people. And I also think if enough, if there's enough fallout because Bitcoin has failed meeting some need in some way, then people might switch. So. Okay, so um, let's talk about the possibility of uh, Bitcoin failing. So in, in this specific, in specific ways, <sighs> not like the whole network. But that's hard, right? Because if Bitcoin fails to provide people with, I mean, Bitcoin is just there for people to make payments. If Bitcoin failed in that form, right? If all of a sudden uh, the government knows every single transaction we ever made on Bitcoin and starts arresting people, that means there's going to be a mass exodus out of Bitcoin and people are going to be scared. So if Bitcoin failed in its job, of making payments, uh, there is a big problem. So obviously, I think the entire crypto world is going to take a big hit. Uh, like, like everyone's going to be scared of all. Like if Bitcoin can fail, then all the other ones can fail too. Um, now, the other issue here is if, uh, for example, uh, there are many people like me, people that only hold Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin uh, goes down, then I'm broke, completely broke, right? Um, well, let's assume I'm slightly not broke at the moment, but uh, it's uh, I become broke. Now, obviously, I love the idea of digital online payments that are peer-to-peer. -peer. So I would have zero problem, zero problem using an altcoin, right? Whether it's... Uh, and obviously, I would at that point I would go for the most private one, you know. Again, whether it's uh, uh, Monero, Zcash, or which isn't really that private, uh, something with Mimbo Wimble, or I know you're a fan of Particle. Uh, so it doesn't matter to me, right? The point is, if I if my Bitcoin no longer serves a purpose for me, that means it has it literally cratered in price. That means I have given up on Bitcoin rising in price. So what does that mean? That means that the moment I take a payment from a privacy coin, I instantly convert it into US dollars or gold or my favorite, the S&P 500 stock market. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of stock market as a store of value uh, because if, uh, if my grandfather had put all of his money into the stock market, I'd be a billionaire today, right? Like, because it just rises with inflation. Uh, because, you know, companies always innovate and there is a reason why the value of the stock market, you know, continues to rise and it outpaces inflation and it outpaces gold. So I would find another source for store of value and I would use all of these currencies. So for me, if Bitcoin falters and it starts to lose its store of value property, I would literally treat uh, the old coins as if someone said, um, hey, Tone, can I pay you an Indian rupees for your workshop? And my answer would be, do I have a digital way of converting your Indian rupees immediately into U.S. dollars? And if the answer is yes, I'm happy to take your Indian rupee payment because I don't have to hold it. And that's what I see would happen. Like, uh, and this is what people don't understand, that by trying to 
take over Bitcoin by trying to replace Bitcoin by destroying Bitcoin's store of value property, assuming you can achieve that, which I don't believe that you could. But if you did, you're basically turning every single crypto into a transactional currency. Like I will take the Venezuelan currency for my workshop as long as I have an instantaneous way of converting it into US dollars. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And uh, and therefore, I don't see how much value these currencies will have because there is no reason to store them. This is eventually going to be like the ripple problem. Like the value of a ripple will continue to go down, down, down because there's no reason to store it. It's just going to be used internally by the ripple people. And at the end of the day, you realize that at that point, there is really no reason to even have uh, a fluctuating exchange rate uh, because you're just using it as a transactional currency. It's numbers in a database. Uh, so like, I just don't see this happening from and uh, This is like game theory and economics. I, I just don't see that happening. Uh, like there's no point uh, of uh, converting my Bitcoin into a privacy coin, using the privacy coin for transaction and then converting that back into Bitcoin. Uh, now, even if there is an automated way of doing it, then all of the use of that altcoin is not to store it. And uh, very, very soon, if not already, you can achieve this with Bitcoin. Uh, there is a Bitcoin liquid sidechain, which is going to uh, basically you can do smart contracts on it. This is the competitor to Ethereum and EOS and all the rest. And you take your Bitcoin, you move them into the Bitcoin sidechain, you convert them into liquid Bitcoin, and then you bring them back into regular Bitcoin. And that is probably even better anonymity than taking your Bitcoin to an exchange, converting them into a privacy coin, converting them back into Bitcoin, uh, because then the exchange kind of knows who you are. But doing it through the liquid sidechain doesn't require any middleman. Uh, so there are multiple ways to make your current Bitcoin anonymous before you spend them, which is today one of the biggest uses for altcoins. Okay. Again, I said a lot. I yeah, know. yeah, you, you do say a lot. I'm trying to uh, start to take notes while you're writing. In your hypothetical apocalyptic scenario, what would an altcoin potentially have to offer you for you to keep your wealth there instead of immediately going to fiat when when bitcoin in this hypothetical scenario fails like is there something that a, a coin could do to to get like the the stamp of approval and for you to not think it's a scam or worthless it would need to have a decentralized beginning like Bitcoin. And I just don't see that anytime soon. Like uh, Bitcoin would have to fail. All of the, everything currently in the crypto space has to fail. And then another genius comes along a decade or two later that builds something in a more advanced way. Because none of these altcoins really have that much different. Uh, uh, there's like another example that I try to use, like like right now, Bitcoin is potentially trying to replace all the currencies in the world, all the fiat currencies, all the old, all of its competing altcoins, uh, gold itself, and uh, 
No, I don't know if the world with a single global currency is good or bad. We will potentially find out. Uh, we don't know what that does to economics, right? If the only currency of relevance in the entire world is Bitcoin, uh, we will see what happens, right? We, we potentially could see what happens if it happens. So um, what's like the best scenario for that? Let's say, uh, you know, someone, people try to, there's new languages popping up all the time, right? So uh, I, I actually, like, it was kind of, it, it's harder for me to go around Western Europe now, sorry, Eastern Europe now, uh, because after all of like 14 countries split from Russia and uh, they're all brought, most of them brought back their old original languages. So now, uh, like in some countries where five or 10 years ago, uh, the only language spoken in Ukraine was Russian. Now there are many people in Ukraine that barely speak Russian and they only speak Ukrainian. And that makes it harder for those that know Russian. So in a perfect world, everyone around the world would speak a single language. Like just think about how much, uh, you know, how much more efficient life would be if everyone spoke a single language. Now there's arguments against this. Oh, there's culture, this, this, this and that. But um, as a person travels the world, you know, showing up at a country and not being able to speak their language is like how much time gets wasted on that, right? That, so that's a huge incon inconvenience and inefficiency. And uh, then someone tried to create a unified language, Esperanto, and you know, all they did was create another f funny language that people learn and waste their time. And that's not actually any uh, useful. So imagine a future uh, maybe in a hundred years, maybe in two hundred years, maybe in three hundred years, where someone finds a way to, let's say, access a part of a brain where uh, people uh, can communicate in a single language through thought. Okay. Wouldn't that be a new evolutionary scale of communication, where you can now communicate like telepathically, not like telepathically? to the other side of the world, right? But like in person, right? I'm standing next to you, uh, we've activated some kind of chemical in our brains, and now I can communicate with you, you know, like we don't need a language at that point, right? We can communicate brain to brain. Um, and the moment that happened, that could be the one unifying language. And now everyone is like, well, I can have a competing mental language that don't exactly click, but now people are making up, instead of just accepting the fact that we can all now communicate much better in a one unified standard, I'm gonna come up with slight tweaks and now we're still communicating, but now we have another way to do it and another way to do it and another way to do it. Like, just can't accept the fact that this could be huge efficiency that benefits everyone. And instead of focusing your brain power on making that form of communication better for everyone, you try to make a competing communication to be more famous and rich because the guy that originally did it disappeared. Well, that is a good an analogy because the people who came up with Esperanto probably thought they were trying to create something better but if no one uses it then it's just dead in the water right. it's a good analogy however i would encourage you to um think about it from a different perspective where maybe 
Bitcoin is just the beginning of a whole new kind of currency. So it's not necessarily the only one or the most relevant one, as you put it, but it's just like the the first light and then <laughs> and then more sparks will come for, you know, from but, it. But that, but, that, but that is what Bitcoin tried to fix, right? We have more. We have like 200. We have 200 currencies around the world. All of these currencies around the world have leaders. They have people in charge of these currencies. They can they can control how those currencies behave. Satoshi invented Bitcoin to replace that. And now what everyone is doing in the crypto space is recreating the old system of 200 government currencies with 2000 cryptocurrencies, all with leaders and central and their equivalent of central bankers. Like in a world of multiple cryptocurrencies is worse than a world of traditional <laughs> fiat currencies because they're all like everything out of the Bitcoin is like the same. It's like Vitalik is like, you know, the Putin of, of, of the ruble. Vitalik is like the Putin of Ethereum, you know, like you have these leaders like, like they try to walk away, but they have lots of influence and their the developer teams are small. No one is checking on these things. Like 90% of all of these altcoins have full control. They can create inflation. They can do whatever they like. I don't know if I would say that multiple cryptos are is worse than multiple uh, fiat currencies. I don't know if I would say that. Um, and it's different, okay? Yes, there are leaders, but I do think that competition is important. And maybe, just maybe, not the 3,000, it's like 4,000 cryptocurrencies exist right now, but maybe like 100 could find their way for meeting specific use cases. And maybe they, none of them will be as big as Bitcoin until hundred years from now when there's something that you think is more revolutionary than the what you called minor tweaks um, that a lot of altcoins are doing but I do think that there's a place for other cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin in the crypto space yeah no no I'm with you a uh, competition is important when it comes to products like here I'm just, like looking around my desk right like here's a trezor Here's a cold card, right? Like competition in products is important. But even as I look at these like hardware wallets, right? Then I look around my desk. I have a, uh, I can't reach that cable. I have a cable with, you know, a cable with this end and a cable with this end, right? Like there is a difference between competition and products that are compatible and I can choose between products. And then there is, you know, why the hell can, why is an Apple computer using a USB-C cable, but an Apple cell phone uses a different charger, right? That's a gross inefficiency that is costing you money to do better things, right? They're forcing you to buy two different cables, okay? So there is competition and then there is inefficiency. So. Um, going back to the language example, right? If someone did create a telepathic language, that's efficiency to get everyone communicating better and faster and save you time and money. Creating 
200 different telepathic languages is a way to go back to our current version of communication. That's right, not but... efficiency. That's not uh, a protocol, right? Like, why do we only use one internet? Like, why do you, what, uh, like, you have, we made the, you have one internet. You can post this video on YouTube and other places on one internet. Uh, you have a website on one internet. Imagine if you had to have a website on five different internets. Like, that's not efficiency. Okay, it's not efficient, but if one different internet does something better than the other one that is very, very useful for what you're trying to do, more so than the main one that everyone else is using, then you're probably going to use that internet. And yes, it, it isn't as efficient, and maybe they're not, they're, there are not as many people or a smaller number of people in proportion to the ver the main internet using it but you could still find use for that author internet all right let me let me make the counter argument to that um the architects of the internet have really regretted not providing more privacy in the underlying layer of the internet uh from what i heard uh, they realized that it even back then at the time, and they thought they can do it as a second layer solution, and they couldn't like pull Bitcoin. it off. Right. But, so how come everyone hasn't switched to a better internet? I'm sure people have tried. You, um, once internet reached critical mass, and I think Bitcoin has passed this point as well, um, the reason you can't switch people from Bitcoin to another currency is the same reason why you can't switch people on our current internet to a new, better private internet. And here's why. Because the internet developed organically uh, without a leader and without you know promotion. Imagine um, there is people out there that, I don't know if you, uh, well, uh, have you seen Silicon Valley? The show? Yeah, the show, a few yeah, episodes. Yes, I've seen a couple episodes. When you get to the later seasons, uh, oh man, uh, spoiler alert. When you get to a better season, uh, they they build a, de uh, a, a better decentralized internet. And that sounds really great for a show. Now in reality, now let's say someone built, let's say they pulled it off, right? Someone built an internet that's a hundred times better than our current internet. They built a, de they, they're claiming that it's a decentralized internet with privacy and governments have no control, this, this, and that. Uh, here's the problem. Um, how do you secure Amazon.com and Netflix.com for the current Netflix and Amazon, right? Um, how, how do you get Amazon to switch, right? Um, you have to either get Amazon on board you have to get every major company on board. How do you transition? Like, even myself, right? I have ToneBase.com. Everyone is like, oh, Tone, you have to get like, like this new thing and that new thing. Here's a competitor to Twitter. I'm like, okay, is my name on there available? Well, it is for now. Well, I'm not gonna, there's like a hundred competitors to Twitter. I'm not gonna waste my time securing my identity on those sites. You need to do it for me. And then if you reach critical mass, you hand it over to me. Because why else would I switch? If I now have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to some troll that got it first, right? This is the problem that you have. You're either centralized 
and allowing the current people to switch directly, right? If you want me to switch to another altcoin as a Bitcoin maximalist, you better find a way to not to destroy my wealth. Like whatever I have, let's say I only have $3,000 to my name, right? That's my life savings is, uh, is uh, my entire life savings. All I'm worth is $3,000 in Bitcoin. For me to switch to an altcoin, I better not lose a penny, right? You better find a way for me to switch to your altcoin and still have $3,000 of my life savings. Now, how do you do that without having full control of the thing? And you can't. And if you have full control of the thing, no one would trust you that it's better and more decentralized. This is the problem you have by creating a better internet. You can't get the, you, and Amazon is not gonna go around and create Amazon.xyz on every single, and it may not even be .xyz, but like the Amazon equivalent on a new better platform, there's thousands to potentially choose from. They're not gonna spend time and money doing that and doing it after the fact, somebody else will get it unless they get grandfathered in somehow. But how do you do that in a decentralized way? So this is the challenge. And uh, this is why we're stuck with the internet today and we do the best we can. I get what you're saying about organic growth, but then you're making it sound as if it's more about the store of value and uh, honoring the people that were there first when it, it was, wasn't about speculation because it grew organically and not about whether or not the currency is doing what it's supposed to. Is it about making better currency to help people around the world avoid centralization, maybe have some privacy too, although you don't necessarily need those two things um, together? Or is it about maintaining the status quo? Because when you you complain about not losing a penny, then it's not about the technology anymore and what it means for, oh, your, your video froze. Um, then you're- Yeah, go ahead, repeat that question. Uh, it wasn't a question, I was just saying that, what you're saying is that it's about the store value and say not losing a penny and not about whether or not this new alternative currency is really in its final form and the best version of what it could be to save people um, from centralization and their money possibly being confiscated and the things that you thought were important about Bitcoin in the first place. You know, it, it sounds like it's about not necessarily maintaining the status quo, even though that's what I said, but about making sure that the people who were there first in, with the original version of a uh, cryptocurrency, that they're okay and not actually making the best possible cryptocurrency that there could be for the world to use? Um, I, I see it as, look, the best way to help people is to make what everyone is using better. And um, while Facebook will not allow you to make Facebook better, Bitcoin doesn't have barriers to entry, right? It's open source. Anyone can contribute, right? So if you're smart and you think you have a good solution, you work with Bitcoin. You make Bitcoin better because that's what everyone is using. And uh, trying to create a competitor, if you are that smart, 
and can do something good, you're you're not helping the system. You're just gonna like dilute people and spread it around. You have an open source protocol. If you're smart enough to compete with other developers on that protocol, help make Bitcoin better. Help people, uh, you know, have better privacy. Do the best you can because the uh, because trying to get everyone to switch to another coin, uh, like the odds are so against you that yes, maybe somebody will do it, but like the chances of it being you is like a million to one. Uh, like it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm I'm sorry, I'm kind of interrupted you because I'm worried about the time, but I want to say, what if say for privacy, um, like for example, I'm not just shilling particle but it's because i understand some of the mindset behind it what if the developers say want to work with bitcoin but then they think that it can't work as a second layer solution and they have to fork the code because for example particle is a fork of bitcoin and they like certain aspects of bitcoin but then the developers thought that they can't use bitcoin as it is but they have to change it from uh, the protocol level so what if making Bitcoin better can't be done without then doing my, that. Then my view on it is they don't understand um, how economics works. They don't understand how human behavior works. And I have to question their motivations, right? I mean, just because someone says uh, we're building this fork uh, because uh, the Bitcoin core developers aren't listening to us, that's what they say. But what I hear is, there is a, I, I will put greater than 50% odds that you just wanna make money and get rich on creating new money because you have first access to that money, right? So uh, I will always like question your motive for doing so, no matter how much you say it's altruistic, right? Um, and uh, uh, this was my, this was my criticism of the Decred people where they said, hey, we're former core developers and we think this is a better version of the of the thing. And I'm like, oh, sounds like you got tired of working for free, making something great for people and you wanted to get rich by creating an altcoin, right? Like I will always question their financial motivations uh, to do so. And uh, like there was lots of core developers that disagree with the direction of Bitcoin, but they don't go and start their own money. They continue to work and try to you know, get their ideas heard and, uh, and, and and worked on and approved and uh, try to come up with innovative ways to give Bitcoin scale, give Bitcoin privacy, uh, you know, create, hey, I, I personally think that there's no need for decentralized smart contracts, but that's my opinion. My opinion is the world doesn't need decentralization in contracts. That's my opinion. Uh, but uh, it looks like people still want decentralized contracts. So, if, and the Bitcoin core developers, uh, as far as my understanding, also felt that it's kind of silly to have decentralized smart contracts for the same reason I always did. But hey, if people want decentralized smart contracts, if they want inefficiency in their contracts, fine, we'll build the liquid network for you. Go ahead, do it. You know, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me, but the technology will be there, right? Like Bitcoin just moves a lot slower because it's a lot more dangerous to screw up. Okay, um, I think we could continue this for a while, but uh, I think we understand each other's perspectives. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about, which was what 
is your opinion on stable coins? Because I'm curious about that. Um, I mean, I, I don't see stable coins as, again, being that much different than the traditional system. Because your stable coin has to be backed by something. And if it's backed by something, it doesn't have the unconfiscatability problem. So all of these stable coins have something backing them. Uh, Tether, for example, is supposed to have money in a bank account and all the other ones. Uh, so either your stable coin has some kind of a digital mechanism that someone can control and potentially manipulate, or your stable coin is fully backed by something physical uh, that could be confiscated. So while it's you know useful in this digital realm, it's uh, it's not it's not Bitcoin, and uh, it'll last while it lasts, and then you know politics will get involved, regulators will get involved, uh, governments will get involved, and all these stable coins uh, they're not store of value. Like you can't trust them to keep your money in them because they can all disappear. Like if the government shows up and confiscates all of the underlying tether, the 75% that is left underlying tether, what happens to your tether? What, hap what happens to those that are holding the stable coin when the government confiscates everything that underlies it by just taking that money out of the bank? Uh, your, your stable coin's gone. And, uh, you know, that, that's the thing. Like who's motivated to work on stable coins code? That's the other problem, right? Let's say you have a stable coin, uh, you have a bunch of developers that are working on it, who's paying them? Well, where is that money coming from, right? Who is motivated to maintain and fix the bugs in your digital stable coin? What happens when that entity is under threat from the government? Again, automatically gets shut down. This is my, uh, this is also my criticism of uh, Binance saying, we're gonna build a decentralized exchange. Oh yeah? Who's paying to do that? Once your decentralized exchange works, who gets paid to maintain the decentralized exchange? Who's motivated financially? Who's paying them for it? If someone is paying them for it, how is it actually decentralized? Because you can go after the people that are paying the money to keep it decentralized. Again, this is what Bitcoin didn't fully solve, but solved enough because there are so many people whose like life's goal it is to work on Bitcoin, whether free or because they have Bitcoin or because Bitcoin has now become so critical to their life. Like I am happy running a Bitcoin miner, paying an electric bill every month and losing money on that because I feel like I'm contributing to the network in a decentralized way. Like I don't see that happening in any other decentralized project. So all of these projects that claim to have this decentralization, there's always a centralized entity that could be coerced to, you know, destroy set project. So while stable coins are useful as transactional currencies of stable value and a stable coin would serve a much better function within Ripple than the Ripple token because there's no reason for the Ripple token to have a fluctuating exchange rate. So, and the Ripple token to me is totally centralized within the Ripple company. So why are they using something that fluctuates in value? 
it would be a lot more efficient to have a stable coin there. It's, it can already be confiscated and inflated and destroyed and, you know, confiscated and whatever else. Uh, so you might as well use something that doesn't fluctuate in value. So while stable coins certainly have use cases, they're not they're never decentralized and uh, they're always at risk of confiscation. Okay, I think I mostly agree with you there. Uh, I would just say that I do think that there are uh, people out there with some, not fully, but maybe 75%, 80% altruistic motivations. I don't think anyone cannot be self-interested in some way, but I do think that there are people out there who are trying to build something that people can use, not just for their own profit. Um, so I think we're, I think we're out of time, uh, but that was a really, really awesome conversation. Um, thank you for coming on and talking to me. I just want to tell uh, people watching that if you like this content, you should subscribe. I'm sure you already know where to find Tone, so I don't need to say that, but you can find me elsewhere on Twitter and on other uh, platforms other than um, YouTube as well. Do you have any last words? No, thank you for doing the interview. Uh, we met at Porkfest. Uh, mm -hmm. That was your first time there? Yes, it was. That was my first time there. And, yeah, uh, that was my second time there. Oh, and uh, um, a funny um, fact for anyone watching. I don't know, don't know if you even realize this, but we both asked questions at each other's panels because we hadn't met when I asked my uh, question on your panel. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, it was uh, great chatting with you, Desiree. Thank you for having me on. And uh, yes, you can find me uh, on the net everywhere as Tone Vase, Tone Vase YouTube, Tone Vase uh, website, ToneVase.com, and Tone Vase on Twitter. Those are my three most popular platforms. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone watching. Have an awesome day, and I will talk to you soon, so keep in touch.